Welcome to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast. In this episode, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. As a yoga therapy school, we get asked questions about running a yoga therapy business all the time. Inside this episode, Brandt covers the basics of finding and setting up your yoga therapy practice space, how to price your sessions and different pricing models, as well as what an ethical sales process looks like for yoga therapists. This episode is full of valuable information that Brandt shares from his own personal experience as a yoga therapist and from training hundreds of yoga therapists over the years inside the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy School. Welcome. So um, let's start with the, the, the basics and um, some things, you know, it's funny, a lot of this will be obvious to a lot of you and some of it you might be like, oh yeah, I didn't do that. So, um, you know, the, the space you work in affects your client's sort of uh, experience. So just some things to think about. Um, as you go through, um, you want obviously climate control that's appropriate and you know, that's not appropriate for you. It's appropriate for like sort of all people. So you need air conditioning and you need heat. I mean, it depends where you live in the country, but you need a, a, a really reasonable, like it cannot be too hot for someone when they walk in. And in fact, I go so far as if when I know a client, you know, I change the temperature based on what they can handle. So just keep that in mind. Um, a place to sit and talk comfortably, chairs, not the floor. I mean, many people like the floor, but just because we're yogis and we like the floor, everyone doesn't. So make sure you have uh, some sort of setup for interviewing like that. Um, you really need a sense of privacy. So if you're working um, in an office, you know, you just shut the door. But if you're working in a yoga studio, um, make sure the door closes and locks and is covered like if it's glass so that the person feels secure even if you know no one's coming in it's not really about that it's about their how they feel about it um if you can don't work in your house um you know this isn't a hard and fast rule but try not to work in your house and if you do work in your house try to have a separate entrance or a, uh, an entrance where basically the client doesn't see your stuff and take on your baggage you know um, it's about them not you so try to make that a, you know, if it is in your house, like they can walk in cleanly and not see, you know, your kid's toys or the fact that you don't do the dishes or whatever. Um, and uh, it's also hard on you because then you have to do the dishes every time someone's coming over. Um, make sure you have props, match blocks, blankets, straps, um, things to make people comfortable so you can be hospitable water a place to make tea even some snacks i try to keep i don't keep a lot of snacks but i always have like an apple and some almonds and you know a few little things in case someone's really hungry and they were rushing to see you um something that you might not think of a lot of people do in their offices uh, no family photos no photos of your kids or whatever people um don't need to be thinking of that or be triggered with their own stuff so uh, I actually have uh, through this door here is a little back sort of office with a desk. Uh, that's where pictures of my kids and stuff are, but nobody ever sees them. So uh, just a thought on that. Um, yoga stuff, uh, deities and statues and things are fine if they're actually meaning, meaningful to you. Um, here's a few, right? 
um, but not, um, you got to be able to speak about them in a personal way and in a general way. Um, you know, there's a medicine Buddha, it's a Thai medicine Buddha, uh, and I do Thai massage actually, and I'm also a yoga therapist, and it was given to me by somebody uh, who I love, and um, it's a symbol generally in cultures for healing things like you know it's a symbol of healing like you want to be able to like you don't want to have like a dancing shiva and be like i have no idea who that is because uh it could uh, wreck their confidence in you um but also you want to have some sort of personal connection to the things in your room um you know uh so even if something's given to you and you're not really don't know a lot about it it's like this was given to me by my first yoga teacher and that kind of thing um, so that's the physical space. Many more things you could think about, but those are, those are the general things. Uh, I've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, well, how do I start? You know, I don't have any clients. I don't want to rent an office and pay, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. Um, some ideas, um, often therapists like psychotherapists and licensed social workers and such have uh, extra space, also massage therapists. But therapists usually have like nice setups. They have like two chairs and a couch. And if it's a bigger office, then there'd be a space to do yoga. Um, see if you can rent from there hourly or by the day. Um, look on Craigslist and uh, don't be afraid to negotiate. Uh, I've rented uh, my office several times because um, I don't work here at night. Weekends, you know, and you know, there's the amount I want, but when I get a good tenant or somebody, you know, who is starting out who I want to help, I, I'm usually happy to rent it to them for less because it's just sitting here otherwise. Um, and um, look for like a set rate, like per hour or per half day or per day. Don't do the per client thing. Like I'll give you $10, you know, per client. It seems good for you because you feel like, well, if I don't have any clients, I don't pay. But actually, it makes it so you can't use the office unless you have clients. And uh, there's something really good about being able to go to your office, maybe like do some uh, paying client and then work with a friend because you're just starting out or uh, be able to do reduced rate things. So you don't want to have your money be tied up with your landlord's money. Um, and then the other things is um, negotiate a place that uh, you can do... Um, storage so you know you can store your props somewhere make sure that's available um, and make sure you have Wi-Fi so that if you want to use some of that time um, to work on building your practice and get on the computer and booking appointments that that's available to you um, so that's the office stuff it's not too complicated most places you can find um, a pretty reasonable office for this kind of work people aren't expecting uh, to be wowed in our business that's not where they're coming to you um, <clears throat> couple of little businessy things. Um, make sure you have insurance and insurance still in our line of work is the same as yoga teacher insurance. So um, I think I use insurance plus, I think yoga journal offers it. I mean, all the associations offer it. Uh, it's 150 to $200 a year for 2 million or so. Uh, don't skip this, even if you're broke. Um, it, it's cheap because usually hardly anyone gets sued. Um, but the two scenarios where you would need insurance are, um, let me just give you fake scenarios, but this is the kind of thing that would happen. Someone trips on the stair leaving your office and uh, breaks their arm and their nose. They go to a lawyer, because uh, they don't have any money, right? And they want to sue so they can get their medical bills paid. Um, but what the lawyer does is sues everyone, right? They sue your landlord, they're not your stairs, but still, they sue the landlord, they sue you, they sue the people upstairs, right? Um, 
and you're going to have to defend yourself. And if you have insurance, your insurance will pay for your lawyer. So you're not going to lose that case, but that's not really the point. You don't want to drop, um, you know, $10,000 defending yourself against a lawsuit when it wasn't your fault. Um, and the other scenario I think um, that motivates me to pay my insurance bill is um, your client does a session with you. It goes great. She leaves in a great mood. Then she dies in her sleep that night. And uh, her brother who doesn't know you gets in his head that the fact that you made her do, you know, an inversion caused her stroke. Um, and, you know, he sues you. And it's morbid, I know, but, you know, that's a big lawsuit. And for 150 bucks, you can be defended against that. Um, the likelihood that you'd be sued, again, is low, but it's definitely worth it. Um, that's $150 per year. So, you know, it's not expensive. Um, so you got your office, you got your insurance, get your reasonable work clothes, right? Um, and then you're gonna have to figure out, uh, the next thing I wanna talk about is pricing. So, um, and I get a lot of questions about this. Uh, so the first thing to understand in this line of work in a private practice is that you do not make your hourly rate in profit. So, you know, if you charge $85 an hour, you do not make $85 an hour. That's just what you're charging, like any business. So, um, some of the things you might pay for, right, are rent and utilities, insurance, like we were just talking about, training, this training, continuing education. Um, if you're going through my big course, you might spend $15,000, right? Like that's a lot of money you gotta pay back. Um, updating equipment, um, all the time you're not in session, right? Making phone calls, answering emails, um, writing blog posts to promote yourself, researching your client's medical conditions, not on the clock, um, creating advertisements. So this can really add up. So in my practice, you know, if, uh, especially when I have a lot of new clients coming in, you know, if I see 25 clients, I mean, that's full time work, you know, this time between clients, there's all the researching, you know, um, and even to get those is probably more than full time work because I have to make people know about me. Um, so you're not getting paid for all your time. Um, so what I would suggest is um, have that in mind. You can't ever do an exact formula with that. People have tried and uh, I've actually taken a course where they gave us a formula and that formula turns out not really to be true. Because um, what happens is you sort of front load and you do a lot of marketing work for the first three to five years of your practice and then people know about you if you do well and then you do less marketing work. Maybe you write a blog once a month and uh, run one ad, I don't know, to promote some clinic you're doing. But it's not, you know, that slows down. So. It evens out over time, but it's really hard to get that exact. Um, <clears throat> but one thing you could do is look at other health professionals in your area, like uh, acupuncture, massage therapy, and, and therapists, um, and price yourself sort of in the middle of that. So, you know, around here right now, I would say that is between 65 and $120 is like the range. Um, I right now charge $120. I'm on the higher end. Um, you know, I'm also your teacher and been doing this a long time. I think if I was starting right now, I might price myself at $80 an hour. Um, would be reasonable. And here's why. Um, if you want to charge someone less, uh, you could always reduce your rate. Um, but you can never charge more. So, you know, you can't say, oh, you have a lot of money. Why don't you give me $170 an hour? It doesn't work that way, right? So, um, some people like to offer sliding scales. 
I would really recommend not doing that. Price yourself and um, if a client asks you to charge less, you can make that individual decision. The other possibility is you can slide, but slide, but you don't add advertise it. And this makes you look, look way more professional. The people are like, how, how much do you cost? You look them dead in the eye, you have one answer, right? You don't have three answers. You're like, I'm $80 an hour. They go, oh, okay. And then if they say, wow, I don't think I can afford that, but I really wish I could work with you because this thing's really chronic, you could say something like, uh, I do have some sliding scale spots. Uh, if you'd like to come in and talk to me about it, we can do that. So um, it looks more like that. Um, the other possibility is um, you can work for, with people for free, and I've done that where I sort of have my rate, and then you know I encounter someone who's really suffering, and I just work with them, you know, in a specific way for a specific period of time, and I don't charge them. So uh, for me, that's a little cleaner because getting $15 from somebody who's poor, um, it doesn't help me that much, you know what I mean? And um, it hurts them. So I figure why even bother doing that? You can make your own decisions, but um, I would definitely stick to your rate unless there's a really good reason not to. The other possibility is someone has something really chronic and they're like, look, it's a little pricey for me to pay $80 an hour because I think I'm going to be coming here twice a week for the next three years. And you sort of work that out. You're like, well, I'm willing to do less. Um, and one of the reasons for that is someone who comes twice a week and you really know them is actually easier. You're not doing as much research and work outside. So not only they're a good client, but, it, you know, they're taking less time um, outside the hour or whatever they're with you. So it's just something to think about. But in general, uh, you're being paid for your time. So um, you have the rate you're making per hour and that's your rate. Um, it's really hard, you know, to get a raise in this business. It's like you have your rate, let's say you start at $8 an hour and you raise it every year for inflation. So every year you go up $5, you're not gonna really be making more money because all the other costs in your life go up too. So uh, when I went to uh, massage therapy school, someone gave me that piece of advice, actually. She looked at us and said, you know, look, you're never going to get a raise. Never. So start at a rate that you're happy with now. And, and that was actually pretty good advice. Um, so that's rates. Don't be shy because you're new. You're getting paid for your time and people in our society need money to live. So yes, you can bump it a little if you have a lot of experience or a specific area of expertise or you're in demand. But generally, um, just like a therapist you might go to, you know, they charge what they charge. They charge $90 an hour. That's just what it is, whether they're a year out of school or five years out of school. It doesn't really necessarily change that much. And um, you should look at it that way too. All right, so let's look at um, marketing a little bit and uh, how to get people to come see. So yoga therapy is still an unknown modality. You know, yoga is really popular, but yoga therapy is just getting going, right? Not getting going, but getting going. Um, your potential clients are going to need a two-step process um, to become a customer. First, they're going to need to know what yoga therapy is and is not. And second, they're gonna be need to be sold on working with you specifically. Um, so it's a sales process. And uh, even though we work from a like yogic space with things, 
it's still a sales process. So we're going to have an ethical sales process that helps everyone involved. Um, and what I'd like you to think about is think about a time that you bought something and you were really pleased uh, with the process and the results. Maybe a house or a car or another healing professional. So let's look at um, a couple of examples. Um, so let's say you go to buy a house. Um, you call a realtor and you speak with them. You tell them uh, you've never owned a home, right? Uh, but your friends told you it's a great idea. Uh, the real explains to you that the market's great for buyers and that um, there are really good tax deductions for owning a home, which is true. Um, they also explain that uh, now you need to take care of a house and that's the trade-off, right? Um, and then you tell them, you say, look, you know, home maintenance totally freaks me out. I'm really stressed. Uh, I don't want it, you know, thinking about fixing the plumbing just, you know, makes me want to cry. I'll be full of anxiety all the time. So the realtor says, well, you know, there's another path you could take and that would be buying a condo. Uh, maybe you pay a little more, you know, in the end, but you never have to worry and maybe that would be worth it to you. You know, you don't worry about major repairs because the condo association takes care of that. And you go, wow, that sounds a lot better to me, right? The realtor refers you to a mortgage broker that they've had good success with. That mortgage broker finds you the perfect mortgage and helps you do all the paperwork. And then you buy a condo and you don't have to maintain it. And the whole process works out and you're really happy. Now, I know that sounds nothing like yoga therapy, but this is an example of a useful and ethical sales process, right? You were listened to. Um, you consented to all the decisions. You weren't just like, oh, I have to do this or that, right? Um, everyone had your best interest in mind, right? And uh, the results were really good given your situation, you know? Um, and of course, there's many places that sales process could have gone wrong. The realtor could have tried to sold you a single family home because they had a lot in their inventory. Um, you could have been directed to their scammy mortgage broker who got your mortgage that was too high, but that didn't happen, right? So then you start telling all your friends and you're like, wow, I had this great experience buying a house. And if you need a house, uh, you should go uh, to this person because it was really great for me. So our sales process should look something like this, right? So a client finds out about you somehow, um, like a friend, a professional referral, right? An advertisement, they call or email you. And then the question is like, what's your process? You know, like generally. Um, so this is one way your process could look. Um, you set up a 10 to 15 minute phone call and uh, this is what my process looks like, you know, and I ask them what they want help with, you know, and get a general idea why they're coming in. Um, I ask them what they know about yoga therapy and I give them an elevator speech about yoga therapy. Right, so they have some sort of idea. Talk to them a little bit about that. I'll, I'll talk about elevator speeches in a minute. Um, and then I determine if I could possibly help them. And if I think there's any chance I could, um, I schedule an hour appointment and to do a thorough intake and discussion to see if we're a good match. Um, I sometimes charge for that and sometimes don't. I do charge for that now. I used to not charge for the intakes um, and sort of presented that as more time for us to get to know each other, see if we're a good match. Um, and in that, I give them a rough idea of the way we would need to work with each other, rough. And, uh, and that includes how, how often or how many sessions, you know, is this a one-off? Is this a, um, you know, long-term thing? 
So they can think about that and they either say, oh, that sounds great or I want to think about it. We set up a time to talk again on the phone and that's how that works. Um, so there's like a little process for them to get educated, right? So there's space for them to ask questions and there's space for me to explain what I do. Um, and I look at that as education and, and in a way it's marketing, right? Even when you've got the person, it's still marketing. It's like, I'm educating you on my product right now. I'm on the phone, say this is my product, yoga therapy, um, that you know nothing about, say. Um, so I'm gonna educate you on it and then you can decide based on that whether you think it's a good fit. Um, so that's the way that works and that could look really good. I mean, another thing that could happen in that process is you could say, you know, after this intake, let me do a little more research uh, and I'll send you some things on yoga therapy for arthritis that I think uh, would be useful. Um, if you're really on it, what you do is find out they're coming in for uh, arthritis in that phone call. So when they show up for their intake, you have uh, printed or emailed them some documents being like, here's a couple studies I found uh, that you might find interesting. Thanks for listening to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a positive review and sharing it with friends. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com.